Boom, bada bing, party people. It is a Friday, but that does not matter. The conversations do not stop. And man, am I excited for today. This is going to be so much fun. You know, just in the pre conversation, just, you know, I'm getting excited because it's like there's nothing off limits. We're going to talk about it all. We're going to have a lot of fun. And we're going to talk over one of her favorite movies. Ladies and gentlemen, my new friend, Corby, how are you? I am fabulous. Um, the last name is Mitlide, if you were going back, because I wasn't sure if it was Mitlead or Mitlide. Everyone gets it wrong the first time. I wasn't going to get it wrong. I was just going to go with the one name I knew. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine, too. How the heck are you, fella? I'm doing great. I'm absolutely fantastic. So for people, tell people a little bit about yourself, your background, where they can find you, what social media is the best, all that stuff. Okay. Uh, it's what I call the 30-second elevator speech. Uh, I've been reading since I was 18. I'm 65. It's my full-time job. When we were allowed to travel, it was 45 weekends a year, coast to coast and into Canada. Mm-hmm. I am your straight no chaser reader. There is no fluffy bunny at my table. It's here are your opportunities and how to grab them. Here's okay. the tough stuff. Here's how to get through it or around it. Here's your toolbox. Go rock and roll. What do I do? Tarot, which is your everyday tour bus, house, mm-hmm. car, job, kids. Okay, God, you put me there. Now what? I'm a past life specialist. Yes, I talk to spirit guides and angels. Yes, I'm a medium, but I am not dial a dead. If Aunt Ruby is on a field trip, she will not be by the phone. (laughs) You cannot avoid me on the internet. My website is corbymitlight.com. You can find me on Facebook. My business page is Fire Through Spirit. You can find me on Pinterest, Instagram, and Twitter, all with Corby Mitlight. Nice. Look at that. So dial the data, that's hilarious. Uh. It's what people think. Well, you know, my Aunt Sally, I know she loves me, even though she's been dead 30 years, why can't you get her? Because she's busy. They do not sit up there in their nightgowns with harps, playing tunes, guys. We can do learning. But that's one of the things I go through in one of my books, so. Nice, well, we're gonna talk about that. Before we do that, tell people about the movie. Uh, why you like it so much, and uh, as you do that, go ahead and hit play. We'll make sure it's on mute. Bada boom, bada bing. All right, so I hit play on the link you sent me? Yep. All right. Um, To Have and Have Not was the first movie with Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall co-starring. It's where they fell in love. She was 20, he was 45, he was married, she was an innocent, but 
you want to see what movie chemistry is about kids, this is it. This is it. I like it. I like it. You know, and the uh, pull of, of, those, of, of just the whole storyline of how he gets dragged in and pulled in and pulled away and the, the internal and external fight that you see is, is quite stunning with mm -hmm. what, you know, uh, how, how the movie takes place. So it is, um, you know, it's, it's a beautiful film. It's very well done. I highly recommend everyone to watch it. Uh, yes. Let's talk about your job real quick. Sure. Very interesting. So you, you know, everyone, how do I want to put this? Everyone trains for a job. Everyone go, mm -hmm. like I went to school, got my job. Right. But there's not a school for you, right? I mean, there's... there are occasional schools for bits. Okay. Like you can learn how to be a medium. There's a very famous school in England. You can take courses. Um, you can find a teacher, but there is no University of WikiWoo. There's <laughs> just not. So how do you, you know, so you've got legitimate people like yourself and then you have assholes. How does the person weed out the asshole? Well, um, it's one of the major things that I teach people. I do a lecture called Psychics 101, the good, the bad, and the Cleos. And <laughs> I give them a mnemonic. What's mnemonic? PTA, Parent Teacher Association. It's a word that gives you clues for other words. So the mnemonic I give people is the word psychic, professionalism, mm -hmm. shared references, okay. you are in control, not the psychic, charges, um, here I can fix anything for a price, that's all the interesting stories, inappropriate actions and connections. Okay. And when I go through all those, it teaches people how to stay safe, how to keep finding the legitimate intuitives, me, Stacy Wells, Crystal Wind, Eagle Skyfire, Andrew Brewer, um, and avoiding the Madame Hoo-Hahs and Swami Swillandas. Swami Swillandas playing at a theater near you. Well, the way I came up with this, we're going back about 15 years, uh -huh. there was a um, big uh, expo in Canada, like 150, 200 booths. And mine was across from one of the fake gypsies. Now, there are real gypsies in Roma, but a lot of people wear the long skirt and the jingling jewelry and the headscarf, and they do that Russian accent, and they too can be gypsy. Hmm? <laughs> so I watched this woman walk by, and the fake gypsy comes out of her booth and grabs her arm. Well, that's called hooking, and it's as bad as the other kind of hooking. But she goes, oh, you no need to pay 30, 40, 50 dollars. I read your palm for dead. Drags the woman into the booth. 20 minutes later, a lot of us see her leaving, crying hysterically. We all go over and we find out that she had been told, oh, you have a family curse. How many in your family? Four. You have dog. $50 every family member. 25 for dog. He's small. We fix. And that if she didn't allow the fake gypsy to burn 400 specially blessed candles in the Roman Catholic Church. I bless real good, only one dollar candle. Her entire family was gonna die in a car accident in two weeks and she bought it. Wow. That is more common than you think. And so that's when I decided that as far as I was concerned, part of my work was to educate people 
about how to stay safe, mm -hmm. how to find the real ones. And I don't care if you hear this and then never come to me because we all get tarred by the same brush. Sure. If people have good psychic experiences, we're all great. If they're lousy, we're all horrible as game artists. We need all boats to rise. Mm -hmm. Do you, um, how does, you know, what's going on with COVID? How, how does that impact your business? I was incredibly lucky, but this is an, an example of how the universe will direct your Titanic away from the iceberg. Um, I used to put 36,000 miles a year on my car, uh, literally 45 weekends a year on the road. My friends nicknamed me the travel channel. <laughs> but about two years ago, the shows started peeling away and I was a little concerned, but I still kept finding other ones to replace it with. Last year, the universe said, we're not making ourselves clear. And in July, I got a herniated disc and pinched nerves. Oh, That makes birth and labor look like a tea party. <laughs> now I'm fine. It took months, but the doctors also said, you are now off the road. You cannot take eight, 10 hours in the car straight and you can't do the load in and the load out. So by this year, when the big bug said lockdown, my business had already transitioned online. Because when people say, how can you read online or on the phone and you're not near me, I say, if I could only read you in person, how do you know I'm not reading your body language? Energy is energy. So for me, it has been seamless and I'm really very grateful. Wow. That is, uh, you know, that's one, I mean, you know, uh, initiative out of circumstance, right? And then mm -hmm. two, that level of then just creating, for lack of a better term, you know, uh, a preparation you didn't know you needed. I'm lucky in that I straddle what I call the twin mountains of WikiWoo and business. Because my background has been an actress, an author, an inspirational speaker, a legal assistant, a video producer, um, an executive assistant, uh, a headhunter, and a psychic. And I use everything from those things here. So the business world doesn't scare me. Mm -hmm. And I try to teach people, don't think just because you are using some amazing skills not everybody has in touch with, it's not that God gave it to you and you should never charge. We get that sometimes. You're not very spiritual if you're charging money. And I just look at them and say, all right, would you ever say to a doctor who has this God-given gift of surgery, what do you mean you won't cure me for free? Yeah. You're awful. You just want me to go die, don't you? You're not very kind. And they look and say, of course not. And I go, ding. Same thing. <laughs> ding. And there, there's the cheddar. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, I mean, I, I think it's always... Uh, it's, it's the easiest and the hardest thing to charge for and the easiest and the hardest thing for consumers to, to buy. And what I mean by that is that, you know, you've, you get, you've got insights, but it's also not tangible. It's kind of like the idea of, I remember I was sitting with this group and like, you know, miracles just don't happen anymore. It's like a miracle happens every time someone has open heart surgery. It's a miracle. Mm -hmm. And, but they've decided to define miracle as Jesus comes down from the clouds and the kid's dead and he lays hands on him and then the kid rises again. Like, so you're very specific about the miracle you want that you just don't see, not the miracles that are happening all the time. 
flight and everything that's going on. And, you know, and they're like, oh yeah, well, I just got to, to, to see it that way. And I, and I see that with, with you know, I, I kind of, in my brain, I kind of see the same analogy with, with psychics. It's like, you've got insight and information, but it's not coming to me through a TV. Like I'm not watching a documentary, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's not tangible. That's what makes it hard for some people. Yeah. Um, and they think it's a lot of horse hockey and then it happens. One of my favorite stories, you know, back in Canada, there was a woman that I saw, she was going to have some challenges and I told her and she looks at me and she says, you suck. And she gets up and walks away. Oh, geez. Now I'm up at, in Kitchener three times a year. The next time I'm there, who's the first person in my seat? And she sits down and she said, last time I said, you sucked. I said, yes, I remember. Because you told me that I was going to take in a border and then I was going to want to sell my house. And I thought that was all bull but my daughter got pregnant and moved home. And now I'm going to sell my house to help raise my grandson. And I still don't like you, but I want to know what else you see. Don't shoot the messenger. <laughs> you know, how do I know that? I don't know. Um, with mediumship, you know, the, mediumship is a funny thing. I don't just go upstairs and fish to say, oh, I see a woman over your left shoulder. It's your grandmother. She's handing you a rose. She loves you. Nah. So I get what I call their dog tags, for instance. My father, Jerome Richard Dorkin, who died in 2001 at the age of 80. Notice that says nothing about who they are, but it's their calling card. Yeah. It gets me right into the energy. I will then tell you what I get. And it'll be either gestures or remembrances or attitudes or something like that. But because I don't censor, I never do it in a big gallery setting like John Holland or James Van Praff because okay. some of that stuff is intensely private. Um, so there was a woman in upstate New York. Um, it was a biracial, same gender couple. Her black partner had died and her widow wanted to speak to her. Now, mind you, I grew up a nice Jewish kid in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. I have manners. What came out of my mouth in flawless Irving Ebonics should not come out of this mouth. <laughs> and I am not going to say it on the air because it's just not right. But I'm sitting there going, oh! and the woman in front of me is laughing and nodding because that's how her partner walked into their house every time she came back from a business trip. Wow. That's a lot more valuable than it's a rose and she loves you. Absolutely. But you have to care about your client enough to know when you're going to pass up the glitter and the stardom to give them their information in a private, safe setting. Not all intuitives will do that. Mm -hmm. Do you, um, you know, what, what's it like when that's happening? You're, someone is speaking through you are you how, how aware are you is it like you're sitting next to yourself watching it all happen how does it break down um for the most part i'm upstairs reading a book <laughs> but it, i say that because i'm aware that i'm speaking and and i'm present while i do it mm -hmm. but the minute i stop channeling it's all gone it's like someone took the extra sketch and did this Whereas sometimes when I'm doing a tarot reading, I'll remember it a week, two weeks, a month later. I will not remember what I said, you know, from your Uncle Harold. But that's a good way to know 
that you're being accurate. Um, people say, how do you know it's not you telling your ego stuff? There's a series of books that I'm in by Robert Schwartz, mm -hmm. Your Soul's Plan and Your Soul's Gift. And it tells you about pre-birth planning sessions, why you came in with certain challenges, etc. And the things that I did for Rob is I was his main past life specialist. And I can also channel people's souls, their higher selves, so that they can have communion with them. Okay. And we were doing a chapter on miscarriages and abortion. And I read the book when it came out and I called Rob. I said, Rob, this could not have come out of my mouth. It is 180 degrees away from what I truly believe. He said, do you want me to play back the tapes? So when that happens, that tells me I absolutely was there for that woman with what her higher self needed to tell her. And my own opinions were sitting on the shelf with me. That's a good sign. That's a good sign. Very interesting. It's uh, you know, it's it's also um, it's it's insightful and, and it shows a uh, a depth of of humility, right? Of of knowing that you can step away in a time of of delivering. Ego is one of the most dangerous things that a psychic can get caught up with. Mm -hmm. If you get up in the morning, you think I am so good and my aura don't stink you are going to get sucked up into, it's all about me. Yeah. When I do hands-on healing, I am not generating the energy. I'm the tube it comes through. It's what John Holland reminds us. We're just the tube. We're the tool. The allegory, the hammer does not go strutting around on our back deck saying, isn't this a great deck? Look what I did. No, hammer. Somebody held you and whacked your head against a nail. It's yeah. the one that held you that did the work. It's the one that gives us the information. That gets the credit. Yeah, I like that. That's that's very. It's it's interesting. What um. You you you've talked about you, you know, past lives. How does that? I'm I'm always fascinated by it, right? Because there's, I think there's you know. In our DNA, it seems like there are things that, we just know, and then you go past that to someone getting like a head trauma and all of a sudden they can speak a different language or they have a, you know, a different mm -hmm. accent or they all of a sudden understand math or don't understand math, you know, and it's almost like they got reset to someone else. There, that, that's possible. The other example is a um, friend of mine. She's gone now. Her name was Laura Gray. She got a heart lung transplant. She was mm -hmm. one of the early ones in the 1980s and she did brilliantly. It was from an 18 year old. I think he was Hispanic. And she had never been able to tolerate hot food before. Now she could. She hated beer before. Now she drank beer. Um, how do you explain that? Because she did not know when all of these things started happening. Who gave her her new heart and lungs? But you pick that up. You pick that up. The way I explain souls and incarnation to people is I use your hand as an audiovisual aid. Okay. This is your soul. It is way too big to fit in these little bitty bodies. So a little bit comes down, has a life. And then when you transition back up, you reconnect and the information is there. Here's your connection to God. We're not smart enough to get it done in one life. We <laughs> need hundreds to teach us what we need. Um, which is why past lives can be so useful. Um, 
spirit universe God, however, uses what you got. For instance, I have a slight benign tremor in my hand, like uh, my father did, which is why he was a cardiologist, not a surgeon. So I can't use a pendulum and trust it. But my background is history and theater. My husband was a museum director. We met at the old Rhinebeck Aerodrome in Rhinebeck, New York. And, and the joke is there was this gorgeous brunette who knew the difference between a Fokker DR1 and an F1 based on the wing skids he had to marry her. So spirit knows that I know history and I know how to tell stories. So with me, instead of just telling you, well, okay, um, I see you in a long skirt and a big hat, so it's old fashioned. I can look at that and go, hobble skirt, picture hat, that kind of ostrich feather. We're talking Berlin, 1911 or 1912. Wow. Which would be more useful. So the easy story that, that I had Rob and I were lecturing at Lilydale, which is one of the most famous spiritualist communities in the world. It's in Western New York. And a woman raises her hand and she has her hair butch short. She says, why am I always terrified when I get wet hair in my face? I literally can't breathe. And I say, give me a minute. And I go upstairs and I about five seconds later come back and say, okay, you have a five syllable answer, Lusitania. In 1915, you were one of the passengers on the boat. It got torpedoed by the Germans, and when it was going down, you went over the side. You had not bobbed your hair. You still had that massive Edwardian massive hair, which took on more water, and it was long enough that debris kept getting caught in it, and you drowned. She looks at me white-faced and says, is that why I'm afraid to go on cruise ships? I said, probably. Where did that come from? It came from there, and her higher self said, tell her this so she can stop worrying. Again, not me, just the tool in service. Wow. Do you, uh, what are your thoughts on, is this becoming more and more prevalent? What are your thoughts on the fact that um, there have been other civilizations uh, before us? You know, the, the Graham Hancock theory that there were actually, you know, it's, it wasn't just the caveman that uh, you know, we, we've had advanced civilizations here and then the earth has decided eh, time for you to go and kind of wipes it out pretty aggressively. And then we come back again like a fucking cockroach and just. <laughs> I often refer to us as the two-legged cockroach. Yeah. Before, so yeah, Seriously. I totally get that. <laughs> well, it's like the old idea that um, people used to think that the sun and the planets revolved around the earth. No. Who died and made you the chief planet? You know. Yeah. Um, we do the best we can with our bitty brains, but remember, this is us. This is everything that we are. Yeah. So, there may be other planets we incarnate on. There may be other universes. We don't know. We're not meant to know. Now, this is school. When you're in third grade, you don't worry about who's learning calculus in Malaysia. You're worried about your geography assignment. Yeah. <laughs> That's where we are. When we're out of the body and less limited, probably we'll think, oh, well, of course. But the reason we incarnate is to learn. This is a world of duality. Um, let's use the white room example. You ever heard of that? No, please. Okay. You walk into a white room with white carpets and white walls and white furniture 
and you're in white, you have no concept of anything that is not white. It's like the Eskimos have 200 words for snow, but not one for palm tree. It's not in their purview. Mm -hmm. So down here, we step away from knowing everything that we can be in order to learn certain things. That's, if you will, our pre-birth plan. That's our soul plan. What do, are we here to learn? And we learn it, we come back, and we bring that to our full soul, and the soul grows. Interesting. What is your, um, it, you know, for, for your industry, it, it seems like uh, the two popular things that people want to hear are fear or wealth, right? It's like, hey, so tell me the bad shit. Because I just know, I just know, I've got to know. It's like a hypochondriac, right? They go to the doctor and they're like, just give me the cancer results. And you're like, you're, what are you talking about? You've, you've got I agree on wealth. <laughs> How many people have said, you know, am I going to win the lottery and look at them and I say, me first. Besides, if your psychic isn't at least driving a Lexus, how do you know they know? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> but it's not fear. It's love. Really? It's first love. Yes. Um, again, in Psychic Calibrate Road, this is the example of when someone comes and they are so determined to get a certain answer that they will beat on the psychic until they do. Does Bruce love me? No. Well, is he going to love me? No. Well, if I do such and such, is he going to love me? No. Is he going to call soon? No. Oh, is, if he's not going to call now, is he going to call later? I don't see that. Well, if, and she goes, bang, 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 until some psychics will just go, yes, yes, he loves you and he wants seven babies with you. He just doesn't know yet. Oh, good. <laughs> don't do that to us. Um, actually, people say, don't tell me this scary stuff. Really? And I explain to them, uh-uh, it's not how I work. We have opportunities to grab and challenges to deal with. And I'll help you with both. Mm -hmm. um, for instance, I'm a three-time cancer dancer. Notice, I don't say I fought cancer, because what you fight fights back. And I am not a cancer survivor, because I hang on by way more than teeth and toenails. A cancer dancer finds out how graceful they can be under pressure, avoids getting their toes stepped on, and gets off the dance floor in one piece. So. You know, I am not a medical intuitive specialist. I'm more like your GP. <laughs> um, and if I see something, I may say, mm, you probably want to go see your doctor. Just check. On the other hand, there are people like my buddy Stacy Wells, who is to me the premier medical intuitive in the US. She can literally look into your DNA. She has seen brain tumors that people have missed. So if somebody has a real health thing they're worried about, I send them to Stacy. That is also the mark of a professional intuitive. We know when it's not us, and we have the references to send you to. So, my thing is helping people through fear. My sentence of passion is cross the bridge from fear to fearlessness and fly. Because when you can get past the fear, you can grasp so much more of your life. Uh, Mary Kay, the, the late doyen of pink everything. <laughs> Fear equals false evidence appearing real. That's what we were taught. Yes, I did Mary Kay in the 1980s when I was young. Um, but I have also given it something else. 
Fame equals full acceptance means everything. So do you want to be fearful or famous? And that people start to get. Famous doesn't necessarily mean, you know, a reality show, but it means that you are bright in your own world. Interesting. Interesting. I, uh, I wonder on a, on a hard left turn question here. Mm -hmm. What's it like being married to you? I mean, the, the, you know, the, the corn My ball, husband's the, the, in the kitchen. You want me to grab him? <laughs> yeah, let's go grab your husband real quick. I mean, it's like, because, it, I mean, the, the cornball, you know, 30-minute sitcom on NBC is going to tell us that, you know, he can never lie to you, but he tries, you know, every week and to do you catch him because you, you, you brush shoulders and you sense the lie and, ooh. But the reality from what I understand is one, you've got a job. I mean, you have a life and I don't want to say it turns off, but you are with him because you're with him. I mean, you're, I you're, you're there to be with him. You're not there to have the spirits come down and chat with him. Um, you know, it's why I've explained to people, I don't read your head as you walk by. I have an open and a closed sign on my shop upstairs. And unless you sit down with me and there's been an energy exchange of some kind, either a fee or a barter, or we are just friends and, and you know, we mean something to each other, I am not gonna go in your head. It's what people are scared of with us. They think we have no boundaries. On the other hand, what that means is someone who comes up to me at uh, a booth at the psychic fair and says, tell me something about me you couldn't know. And if you're right, I'll have a reading with you. I smile and say, I'm sorry, I don't roll over and fetch either. And I turn my back, they do not get a reading. Now, my husband and I, we're very mutually appreciative of what each other can do. In that, he, as a museum director, dealt in verifiable historical fact. Mm -hmm. I deal in WikiBook. But we see how good each other is at what we do. And there is no fear on either side. I do not read my husband. I'm too close. Remember what I said about ego? Yeah. I care about him. I love him. I want the best for him. So I am too personally invested to read him. He's not someone that goes for readings anyway. But if he did, I'd send him to someone I trust <laughs> that doesn't know him as well as I do. Sure. sure. That's interesting. That's interesting. I like I that. Like that. Do you, uh, you know, uh, it's funny because you call it wiki woo and, and I giggle in this kind of like nervous way sometimes when I hear you say it because it's, it's, it's weird to talk to someone that has so much confidence in their profession and also just in the industry that they're in that they can give it a funny, silly name, wiki woo, and still know that you're doing good work. How did, you, how did you create that, that confidence and understanding in yourself? I had really good mentors. Now, mentors, not gurus. What's the difference? A mentor will push you a little bit further than you think you can go, kick you out of the nest before you think you're ready, and sit in the audience and applaud you when you get an award for being better at what they do than they are. Perfect example is head of the Yale drama department in the audience when Meryl Streep gets an Oscar, because uh, that's where she went to school. Mm -hmm. So the people that I have worked with have always been, it's not about you, it's the client. Mm -hmm. 
be a little skeptical. Don't assume you're always right. I mean, one of, one of the things I tell my clients is even the best of us are only 85% accurate. The only one 100% accurate is God, and he doesn't have a booth here this weekend. Busy. Um, the key is this. I take my work very seriously. Me, not at all. Me, not at all. That way, the ego stays in check. Mm -hmm. That way, there is always gratitude for what I can do without self-abasement. Oh, we're not worthy. No, I am worthy because I've worked hard at this. And when you've been doing it for almost 50 years, the way I have, you're going to get good. It's like going to the gym every day. You can lift a hundred pound barbell where somebody else couldn't lift five. Sure. But, you know, in 1973, when I started to read, I was a senior in high school working part-time at Spencer Gifts. And that was the year Live and Let Die came out with Jane Seymour as solitaire. And I bought the James Bond 007 tarot deck. I mean, all of us, we were hippies. We had the elephant bell bottoms and the fringe jackets and the tarot decks. Five years later, everybody else started moving to roller skates and disco balls, but I loved the cards. I kept looking and playing with them. Um, so for, I read for 20 years, practicing keeping my ego out of the way so I'd be a clear mirror. That's why in 1994, Spirit said, hello, greetings, here's your draft notice, you're working for us. And all of a sudden, I could do hands-on healing and talk to dead people with no training. I kept doing it on the side while I was still maintaining a normal job. But my husband and I watched the towers burn on 9-11. And I said, honey, I'm gonna to need to do this work full time. People will need to know their other answers. And he said, I believe in you, go do it. So for a year, I still worked for an executive recruiting firm with a boss that threw files at my head when she didn't like what I told her and did the WikiWoo work evenings and weekends. Once I was sure I could make a living at it, I went in figuratively peed on her desk and left and I've never looked back but I wasn't this solid when I first started it's a matter of anybody you can get you know you can be a pipe fitter you can join the union and you're a rookie and then 25 years later there's nobody that can touch you because that's what you have done so it doesn't mean that I'm terribly special it just means I've been working at my craft for a long time and because i have theater training i was a theater major at brown um acted off broadway i've done voiceovers for me relaxing into who i am even on camera is second nature that's an odd combination that not everybody has yeah so it's um you know you, you've brought up tar tarot cards a couple times mm -hmm. for the un uneducated that'd be me and uh, mm -hmm. probably me alone. What what are they? How do they how do they work? Okay. Um, before we do that, I'm going to say yeah. take a look. And if you go onto the screen, you will now see. At this point, she was 19 years old. Mm -hmm. Lauren Bacall, just She's... capturing both Bogart and the screen. I mean, she is. She's a stunning woman. Yes. And there's a, for, for 20, there is a level of confidence there that is, uh, that's pretty amazing. I think that in the 1940s, especially since this was during the war, um, it was really necessary. People grew up faster. 
if people are into uh, music of the time, that's Poggy Carmichael, who was you know, a very famous uh, pianist and writer. And um, it, it just, you didn't have the luxury of being coddled the way at least my generation did in the 60s and the 70s. Kids now, they are not coddled. You know, people worry about being helicopter parents. We never had to face climate crisis, pandemic like this. Um, the, the United States had never been attacked on its own soil. Now it has. In the 1940s, we were pretty much all together. Now the United States is as divided as it was for the Civil War. So you grew up faster. You just did. Do you really think we're that divided as we are? I mean, I, I, I wonder how much media, social media and regular media uh, exasperates the, uh, the, the, the squeaky wheel versus how much um, we are still very, very close. We are divided, unfortunately. Um, social media doesn't help. Uh, there's a movie out called The Social Dilemma yeah. that explains it. But um, I am a Democrat. I have voted in every single election since 1976 when I was 21, and I've always voted Democrat. But I live in a very Republican county. Mm -hmm. And there are difficulties. Um, there was someone near Sharon Springs who had swastikas, pro-Nazi, uh, anti-abortion, threatening signs all over his lawn. And because of free speech, they could not be taken down. They, people complained about it, but this is someone who truly believes that Trump was a savior, that anyone who is a Democrat is a communist and a socialist and wants to destroy America. No, we don't. Um, when you look at what a conservative is in Europe, they still believe in healthcare for everybody. They still believe in living wages. Um, there are different things between a liberal and a conservative. Mm -hmm. Here in America, um, conservatives basically don't want anybody to get anything for free. They feel like everybody needs to work for it. It's the Puritan work ethic gone on steroids. There is not the sufficient compassion to give to other people. Do you think that's conservative? Or do you think that's the economy? I mean, I, I see that as the the economy, right? Our, our hearts and our wallets have not been aligned for for a very long time, and it's just uh, it's accelerated. If you mean you know, for, for people that look at churches and it's you know, or not churches, uh, uh, hospitals like oh, it's Baylor, Scott and White. You know, thirty years ago, though those all those hospitals were named after churches, and they were you know a, a safe place to go, and it wasn't about making money; it was about helping people. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's where I, I don't know that ne it's necessarily conservatives as much as it's the economy, and then it's the corporate oligarchs. Yeah, and the conservatives oligarchs. love that, but no, because well, I think both the parties love who it. have the least 
give the most. So you can't yeah. just be a karmic. Um, when you believe that everyone is your equal, you're willing to help everyone. When you have to believe I'm better than you, it's important to keep someone below you. Mm -hmm. um, that's part of it. So it's, it's not just the economy. It's being taught fear. I mean, we listened to what Joe Biden said in his gorgeous acceptance speech last weekend. And then you look at Trump's inauguration speech, which talked about fear and American carnage and everybody hates us, so we have to band together. That kind of speech will make people draw in. Speeches like Joe Biden's, I will be everybody's president, we feel like it's safe to reach out as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I know I think that um, Joe is, you know, he, he plays the, the, the middle very well and does a good job. But the, what concerns me, I think concerns a lot of people is, like I'm, I'm, a, I'm a man with, with no political party or country, right? Because I'm not right of the sheriff of Nottingham. I'm also not left. I'm, I'm very centered in what I believe. And some, some things I believe are on the conservative side and some things are, are very much on, on, on the liberal side. That's cool. And so when I see stuff where I, I'm like, all right, I like what Joe said there, like, you know what, it's, it's just, it's, it's calm and it's, it's mannered and it's measured and he's coming across. And then I see a tweet from like an AOC that says, is everyone writing down these people who voted for Trump their names so that they don't get hired? Mm -hmm. Or Maxine Waters coming out saying, if you're black and you voted for Trump, I'll never forgive you. Don't ever talk to me. And, and I'm like, wait, you're- Extremism you're, is extremism. Yeah. On and, and, either side. On I either side. Saying, if you're a Democrat, you're perfect. Oh no, that's not what I'm saying either. And I'm, not, I'm just saying, I'm saying that it's, you know, in, I think that I'm bringing it up because I think it's, it's, it's going to be a hard task for Joe to bring us together because he'll say those things and he actually does a very good job saying them and you feel good. I mean, almost like when Reagan would say stuff, you would feel good because he had this delivery and it wasn't an arrogant delivery. It was a calm, hey, I'm in control. Let's just go to right over here. And you're like, okay, yeah, that's, that actually sounds really safe now. Um, and, I, and I wonder, is he going back and going, hey, you guys, enough, stop. All right, you're, we're, we're trying to get, the, get this thing. We're trying to build people together. <laughs> and every time we get close, you little assholes get on your keyboards and it falls back apart. <laughs> the way I explain it, um, back in 1964, when uh, Goldwater got walloped by LBJ, mm -hmm. um, that's when the Republicans started to move to what they what they're doing now and it took them 36 years to get a lock which they did when the supreme court said stop the counting bush is president and since then they have done their best to control their power i mean you take someone like mitch mcconnell who told obama when he first came into office uh you're not going to get anything passed and it's my bounden duty to make you a one-term president okay um, there are, have been some good Republicans. I may not agree with everything, but they're good and honorable people. John McCain, um, he used to go, 
hammer and tongs with Joe Biden, but they would be able to compromise and they'd go have dinner with each other afterwards. It's the, you know, everything that is on the other side is evil. We have to go away from. Yeah. We do. And while I respect AOC for a lot of wonderful, bright, incandescent ideas she has, um, I believe that what it was told is an election doesn't mean marriage. It's a bus schedule. If you want to get from here to here, and this guy is only going to get you from here to here, well, at least you're here. Mm -hmm. Work it from there. Um, we've got to learn to compromise with each other. If not, mankind is dead in a hundred years. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. You know, uh, I think that there is, you know, I, I think we also, we need to brush up on our, on our political system. Uh, you know, it, you know, I think there are some bright shining lights in there. I think there's a lot of dead bulbs in there too. And, and a lot of people that, I mean, from, I forget, I don't, I don't care if the guy's Republican or Democrat, I have no idea, but there was a Senator from Georgia and he was on the House Means Committee, mm -hmm. and the uh, military was talking about how they're on an island, and they want to move the base from one side of the island to the other, so it's closer mm -hmm. to uh, the town. Yeah. And the senator raises his hand, he goes, I have a question. The guy goes, yes, sir. He goes, are you not concerned that if you put all the weight of your military base on one side of the island that's the same side as the town, that the island will tip into the ocean? True story. And this general, I mean, you can see he's reaching for his pistol. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, let me just shoot. The, like, I'm, I'm keeping this guy alive. Like, I'm defending this country for this. Look, it's like the idea of injecting ourselves with bleach and windmills cause cancer. Yeah. It, it, you know? it, or it's, you or just it's, have to. You know, it's, or it's, I was talking to a friend of mine. I go, I love the idea of, uh, of not having to, um, you know, mine the earth for fossil fuels. Uh, however, Gavin Newsom, sir, you can't go a summer, a summer without rolling blackouts. And you want to have all electric cars? Where are they going to plug in? What's going to have you fixed? There's no plan to fix your electrical grid, but there's a plan to go electric. It's, you, I mean, you, you got to grab some of these people by the, by, the, uh, by the hair and go, hey, folks, bigger picture. Dummies. You, need, you need to go A to B to C to D. You can't yeah. go A to Z to Green to Paris. It's not going to work. It's not going to work at all. You know, and, and where are they getting the, you know, the, the stuff to make the batteries? I, 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 find, I, I find it terribly disenfranchising when I see someone going, I am freeing the earth with my Tesla. And I'm like, you are promoting slavery. And when that battery goes bad, it's really bad. Now, does that mean that we should go to fossil fuels? No, but it does mean that we probably need to figure out how to be smarter around this whole thing instead of going from one cancer to another, like a bunch of morons, you know. It's, Life is shades of gray. Yeah. It ain't black and white. That's it's, it. It's true. And, you know, but you've got these people who's like, I quit Diet Coke. And you're like, what do you got there? Diet Mountain Dew. You're like, I thought you were off the, it's, you know, it's just, it doesn't, it, it, it doesn't comprehend. It, does, it never computes for me because it's, I'm not the sharpest crane in the box. And I'm sitting back going, hold on, don't you want to do these two things first? And they're like, Psh, stop being a Nancy no-sayer. Come on, let's just embrace it. <laughs> it's, it's a good way to be like Wiley Coyote, who goes all the way across, realizes, oops, 
there's no bridge. Boom. Yeah. Yep. So it's you know it's up at, I I will say in saying all of that. I will also say that that I you know this country I believe based on the people of this country, pure and simple. We're going to be fine. We're going to be fine. I think we give way too much power to the one person sitting in that one room in that one chair. We've mm-hmm. got House and Senate. We have mayors. We have governors. We have people that actually impact your lives a hell of a lot more than that person does. Spray tan or no spray tan, it doesn't matter. R or D, it does not matter as much as your mayor does, as your governor does. It really doesn't. And you, you, know, you got to be active in those. When people say, oh, America's going away and this is horrible, uh, and China or Russia or whatever boogeyman they want to throw at us, here's the reality. Are there millions of people trying to legally and illegally get into Russia or China every year? No. Are Russia or China popping out the latest and coolest and best X, Y, and Z product that's going to help someone or, you know, is just a status symbol of any way that's just brain luxury, what I like to call? You know, he's like, oh, I just created something new and cool. No. You know why? Because they don't have it. And I don't know what it is that we have, the little knack that, that just makes people want to work hard and come here and do cool shit, but we got it. And no one's going to, if that gets taken away, if that goes away, let me tell you, this whole planet changes in, in a bad, bad way. And I don't see it changing or going away because guess what? Those borders are still busy. those documented and undocumented people coming in that just want a chance to be in a different piece of dirt, it's awesome. Come, hey, please, you want to work that hard to be here? You know, I have have a firm belief that the people who really hate the, uh, you know, the the illegal aliens is because they're, they're being pointed out how lazy they are, right? It's like, oh shit, look how hard they're working just to get here to do a manual labor job. What yeah. the, now, obviously, I want them to go through the proper channels because you're set up better. I mean, you're, you're actually more protected. It's, it has less to do with open borders and more to do with protecting the person and making sure that they are given the rights and justice that all of us have and that they, should, that, that, that they deserve coming in here 100%. But I'll tell you what, man, they, it ain't happening in other places. It's just not. You know, we, we're very blessed. We are. All politics is local is an old saying, and it's, it's true. Yeah. Um, the people who are most scared of immigration, they're coming to take our jobs. Uh, well, fine, you work at Stewart's, and this guy from India is a brain surgeon, and he is going to take your job. No. Yeah, I'm not taking no. the job. And you can't have, they're coming to take our jobs, and they're so lazy, they just want to suck off the American teeth. No. Mutually exclusive, guys. Yeah. Yeah, there's just, I mean, I, I think what, uh, because we don't have, once again, education, you know, has is, is, is failed us quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you don't have a good education and you also live in a world of fear and, mm-hmm. you know, that is as much of a political tool as is a media tool, right? You, know, you look at how they're trying to make money on clickbait and getting people agitated and just reading headlines and not, you know, or having fear of having a conversation like this. Right. It's like, oh, but what if I offend someone? It's like, can you just be honest and talk? And if someone gets offended, you're like, hey, you know what? That went a little too far. Can I tell you what it bothered? You can be an adult about it, but we don't. And 
you know, as, as when we don't and all those things happen and that ball continues to roll, it just it gets out of control. You know, and, it, and for what? And to what end? Right? I mean, to the end of I have comfort in the fact that I'm always scared shitless. I know that I wake up in the morning, I'm going to get agitated. So I go first thing to Facebook or do you turn on some music and dance with your kid and, you know, get some breakfast going and put a smile on your face. Yeah. Avoid the doom scrolling is I think what they call it. Yeah. I mean, seriously, it's just, it doesn't, it doesn't work, man. It just doesn't work. How do you, you know, when you see this, you know, the, the, the doom scrolling and social and all of this, your business and what you do, it's literally as you've evolved and, and, and trained and worked and become better and better, the internet has gone from a thought, right? And an Air Force connection to where we're at now. Yes. How is it... Um, you know, in a positive way, obviously it's impacted your business because you can stay at home and, and do the things you need to do. But are there, are there negative ways it's impacted your business as well? Yeah, I spend too much time on it. <laughs> um, there's that. There's also, when you have a conversation with somebody face-to-face, -face, you hear the nuance in the voice. You get to see the expression. Uh, you can write something on Facebook and it can be taken a completely wrong way and you get flamed and there's no chance to explain, but that's not what I meant because why should they believe you? Sure. So unfortunately, um, we're losing our human connection and people who feel marginalized feel much more enabled to attack without putting themselves in any personal danger. Mm -hmm. That's the biggest problem with social media. And of course, the idea that... Uh, Sorry, cat here. Um, <laughs> the algorithms from big tech silo us so that we only see what they want us to see. Sure. Unless we know how to do the back channel work. It's one of the reasons why I miss sitting down with a client or having an audience of 200 in front of me while I lecture. Because there's that electricity of human-to-human -human contact in a room that I don't care how crystal clear your camera is, you will not get that from seeing somebody as pixels instead of flesh and blood. Oh, I agree with that 100%. I think there is, uh, there's something special about that connection, that one-on-one -on -one piece. Mm -hmm. um, it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's very interesting. It's, it's, it's also, it's, you know, I'm sure it makes it very challenging for you just in creating a, a more pure connection when there's technology kind of in the way, blocking a signal that's created that almost seems like it's also blocking a signal as well. A little bit, but it's one of the reasons that um, I've developed the style that I've got in that I don't come across as your typical psychic medium who only has a little bit of herself here and mostly she's up there. I remember years ago, one of my fellow intuitives said, you can't ever put anything negative or any of the problems you're having on your page. That's not what they pay you for. I said, believe it or not, yes it is. If they know I'm human and I have my sleepless nights and my grumpy days, then they're gonna to come to me and trust me that I will understand their lives. That is the problem, it's the problem with fame. 
when you are famous, you know, reality show famous, like the Long Island medium, um, you can either show people your lives in a reality show setting where it may be the way you act, but it's always re-engineered. Mm -hmm. Or you can keep things mysterious and nobody ever gets to know about you at all. There's no soul-to-soul -soul trust, I guess is the way I would put it. Um, I love my clients dearly and I'm grateful for them. But for instance, I would never stay at somebody's house because no matter what, there is always the, ooh, it's Corby. And my shields would have to be halfway to full up and they cannot resist saying, you know, I know we're over breakfast, but can you tell me blah, blah, blah. I'm always on. Yeah. So what I do is I give myself that time out in a hotel and lower my shielding so I can just be me. And have there been some clients that have crossed the line over to friends? I would say, I read about 1,200 people a year, and each year there are maybe two, because you have to be careful that way. Mm -hmm. But being careful that way allows me to not have a persona. What you're seeing now as Corby is basically the same person my husband sees over breakfast. I was just thinking how good that must feel. Uh, for him or for me? For you to not be on, just to that freeing of just, oh, thank it God, it's my husband. It can be exhausting. Yeah. Um, so that's one of the reasons that being off the road has been helpful for me. Bless you. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> never less than three, never more than nine. Been that Five. way since I was a kid. I had no wow. idea. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, when I know that I can lower my shields and I don't have to be aware of anybody else or letting them into my space so that I can help them, mm -hmm. it's like walking around with, you know, your hair unwashed for two days and no makeup, but you know, your family loves you anyway. <laughs> That's right. That's absolutely um, right. Do you, uh, okay. So my authenticity is, I think my greatest gift to my clients. Well, your authenticity also, I mean, that just, it, it allows a comfort and a connection, right? Because mm -hmm. you're not, you're not getting the person who, you know, clicks a switch and the crystal ball lights I up know. and they go, Ooh, you know, and you know, it's like, who's your hero? Yuri Geller. He's my hero. <laughs> you know, one of the things that I was told... Uh, first of all, real quick, can I get a little nod that I know who Yuri Geller is? Come on now. That's like yes, 70s. Yes, Mr. Spoonbender. <laughs> yes, very good. I agree. <laughs> but, um, How did, now, what's that like when you see someone who's trying to do this bridge of, I'm a medium, I'm a magician, I'm an illusionist. It's like, do you want to grab them and go, hey, pick a lane? But don't come no, in my lane. None of my, it's none of my freaking business. Not my circus, <laughs> not my monkeys. Um, it's why I don't diss other psychics. Yeah. Unless I think they're a danger to someone. You so know, now, when you pastors. think, 
when you see the Long Island medium, just walk up to somebody in a grocery store and go, your Aunt Doris is saying that you have a bull tire in the back and if you don't get it changed, you're going to die in a week. Just telling you when she walks away. Who the hell gave her permission? You know, why should that person trust her? And to be perfectly honest, that's not how it really works. Um, reality show cases a supermarket for a month, finds a target, has them sign something, and then it's filmed. Yeah. So none of that is real. But there are some psychics who think it's real, and they have the right to walk up to anybody and give them a message whether they want it or not. That is a drive-by psychic shooting, and it drives me nuts. It's why people are afraid of us. Interesting. See, I'm, it's, I'm so fascinated by it and, and intrigued. Now, I, have, I have friends. I grew up uh, in, uh, in, in a Christian home, and it was, you know, you can't even say the word psychic that, you know, you might just invite the devil in himself, you yeah, know, no. or, yeah, you know, I, I told my mom and she freaked out. I was like, you know, a Christian invented the Ouija board. It was a Presbyterian minister. It was a game of chance and luck. And she was like, how dare you? This is not true. And I'm like, it is true. Who cares? Even, even so, you mentioned one of my hot buttons. What's that? Ouija boards. Yes. When you play with them, it's like throwing open your door in a strange neighborhood and yelling free beer. You do not know who's out there, but they heard you and they're coming. <laughs> I have had to handle um, two teenagers terrified because they just grabbed a Ouija board and without any kind of grounding, centering, shielding, energetic work, nothing, just said, who's here? And the planchet started to move and spelled backwards very fast was, I have an ax and I'm here to kill you. That's not their Uncle Danny. And for everybody who says, oh, but it's in the toy department, how dangerous could it be? I mean, this always comes up when I'm lecturing. Sure. So I say, okay, get, who here has a child or a grandchild under 10? And hands go up and I choose one. Who's yours? His name is Peter. He's eight. I said, great. Peter comes to you and says, Grandpa, Grandpa, I got all A's on my report card, and you said I could have a toy, and I want what everyone else has. And he drags you into the toy department, and he shows you a box that says, my first chainsaw. It's in the toy department. You're going to let him play with it by himself? Of course you're not. Have a little brain power here, guys. <laughs> I, I find the, uh, it's weird. I never did the Ouija board, obviously. Um, I've seen people do it. I never participated. It just not my cup of tea, if you will. Mm -hmm. But you know, I've seen people mess around with it. I don't know. It is. Uh, it's interesting. So this brings me to something else because I was going to interview this lady, yeah. and then she reached out. She said she has a store, and she sells possessed dolls. So I go and look at the reviews on her store for. Okay, so one, the guy's like, dear X, Y, and Z, you're right, Timmy is a rascal. Ever since I've got this fucking doll, I will go to bed at night and wake up and all the doors of my house will be open. <laughs> and I have to go looking for the doll and I can't and find him. You want it, why? And so she's like, so I was like, hey, only way I'm going to do an interview is if you send me one of the dolls and I want to hang out with her for a week or two. 
and by the way, I wasn't going to do that. I was going to give her one of my friend's addresses and just have it sent to them without them knowing it was a possessed doll and just see if anything happened. <laughs> Did you want to keep them as a friend afterwards or not? Well, this is the danger of being a friend of mine sometimes, okay? Is that that. okay. I have inappropriate gift giving skills. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, but the question is seriously, is that shit real? How much of this stuff is real and how much of it is someone that just went to a Goodwill, drug that doll behind their car on the drive home, and then said they found it in an abandoned hospital from 50 years ago? I'm sure that the vast majority is, is the latter. Okay. But there are more things in heaven and earth, Horatio, as the saying goes. Uh, I'm sure that there are some things like that that have motivating entities in them. Um, that kind of thing is too much in too many cultures to be completely fake. But you don't sell them. You don't send them off to people without warnings. You just don't. Hi, would you like a, you know, a pet anaconda? grow big but you can handle it no <laughs> just for the weekend just see if you like him running around the house i mean for sure you know hide the toy poodle it's gonna get eaten <laughs> no. no 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 bad idea see but then i recognize it's a bad idea and i canceled all of it good i'm so glad aren't you you're like there's there's hope for me yet right mm -hmm. there's a little hope for me yet but it is it does fascinate me i mean it really does because it is when you're raised the way I was, you know, where everything's bad and music is bad and rock and roll and this and everything's from Satan and everything's the devil and everything's evil, it's hard to, uh, to find that bridge, right? Yeah. You know, and then, and then if you have any remote insight or liking of any of it, right, or you're interested or you want to explore more, well, then, you know, Satan's got his grips in you and then there you go. You're off to hell, buddy. Good for you. So... Yeah. Organized religion just has too many boxes. Um, my, my favorite example of it is, you know, I was a little Jewish kid in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. I was going to Hebrew school, um, which is like Christian Sunday school only afternoons during the week. And I went to our rabbi, Max Wine, little bitty raised never rabbi. And I said, Rabbi, you tell us that the earth was created in seven days, but my science teacher says it took billions of years. Which one of you is lying? I was barely thrown out of school. I did oh. not get my husband. But that's why I've always felt about organized religion. There is a difference, for instance, between Christianity and churchianity. Mm -hmm. Churchianity is what is practiced in this country 99% of the time. Christianity, with its core of compassion, humility, service, and love, that's valuable. But that has been so kicked to the curb by the prosperity gospel of people like, um, what's, what's his name? Joel, uh, Joel Osteen, the, the one who's the multi-multi-millionaire in uh, Texas who would not open his house to those who were homeless when you had Hurricane Harvey. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, the, um, the, the people here wouldn't do it for me. I should have just got it done somewhere else. Mm -hmm. But uh, I was I was getting shirts made that just for my friends in Houston that said Joel Olstein's a cunt. 
he's a horrible human being. When you have a place that big that can feed people, that can do so much, and you do nothing, nothing, you're a horrible person. You just are. And, you know, it's not, and it's not like we're asking you to do something special. We're asking you to do. It's not, I mean, and by the way, everything you have is because it was given to you. You didn't work for that shit. It was all mm-hmm. given to you. Preach. And you can't give? It's gross. You ask people to give when they don't have a pot to piss in or a window to throw it out of. And, and they'll find it. And they'll, they'll find it. And you have resources upon resources. I mean, I've got to think. God's looking down going, I can't believe this fucking guy thinks he's on my team. <laughs> you know, get off the court, man. Well, the way I have always understood what happens to us after we die, and of course, you know, I'm talking out of my hat, uh, it's theory, mm-hmm. but there is no such thing as hell. What you get is a life review where you get to feel the result of your actions. Someone like Wayne Dyer, who made such a massive difference to so many people's lives, you feel all of that gratitude, you feel all of that peace, you feel all of that growth. Someone like Joel Osteen, when he goes, will feel the fear and the death throes and the grief and the hunger of all those hundreds of thousands of people he never helped and feel it like it was happening to him. That's how. Now, after you do that, you go on. But that's what hell is is the inability to not face what you did and all of the consequences. How, how often when you're looking at past lives and you're talking to someone, um, do you see them, for lack of a better term, repeating the same mistake? You know, they're, they're, it's like they're stuck in a cycle. Some do. Yeah. Um, to use my example from your soul's plan, I'm the only one that Rob had both as a subject and as one of his intuitives. But, you know, we have to come in male and female from life to life. We've got to learn from both sides. And this particular soul tends to be 80% male, 20% female. My female lives are my toughest ones. And when I'm a guy, apparently I'm not the nicest person to the fairer sex. So what happens is my female lives have to answer to that. Most of them, I don't know that. This is a life where I've been given the opportunity to connect and see other past lives and why something happened in this life that I have to change. Some people get it. They learn in their between lives sessions. Some don't. Mm Depends on how stubborn we are. <laughs> I'm going to go with we're pretty stubborn. We can be, yes. I'm rolling the dice on that one. Uh, you know, and I'll, I'll double down. Done. But it's important to realize that, all right, um, you don't get diseases because you were bad. You don't have, you know, you don't get born as a quadriplegic because you were bad. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's in service. The person that I use as a good example 
uh, can be Ryan White. Ryan White um, had AIDS from a blood transfusion right in the beginning of the epidemic. And he was treated horrifically, horrifically, because people in um, the early 80s didn't understand it. But along here, he meets Elton John, who at that point was in the middle of his worst days, snorting coke, bulimic, um, sexually promiscuous, everything. I mean, you see the beginning of Rocket Man. He says all of the things that he was. Mm -hmm. but he befriended Ryan White and became his champion, became practically a member of their family. And when Ryan died, Elton was so bereft and was so aware of what this kid had gone through, stoically, cheerfully, kindly, compassionately, and then looked at his own life, that that's when he went to get sober and off all the stuff. That's when he created his AIDS Foundation, which has raised half a billion dollars. So it could be that the soul of Ryan White said, look, it won't be fun, but if I can make this much change in the world, I am willing to go through that. So he went through it as what we term a courageous soul to make change in the world. Yeah, because change doesn't, it's not easy, right? It's not, uh, there's, um, you know, it's not, it's, it's a lot more than just you, you know, yeah. Crack a few eggs to make an omelet. It's a lot more than that when it when you yes. want real change and yes. and it's very easy to think of bad karma and good karma. You know, saints and sinners, heaven and hell, because that's not nuanced. Yeah. That's a little kid's thick lined coloring book to color in, as opposed to the Sistine Chapel. Yeah, yeah. No, that's 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 yeah, it was beautifully said, and you're absolutely correct. I mean, it is a. Uh, it is about um, understanding that ripple, right? That, that calm pond you throw the rock in, mm -hmm. you know, uh, the wings of a butterfly. But it, there is, we get lost a lot. We forget the nuance. You know, we forget that, that spectrum hue. And, uh, and I think we, you know, in doing that, we lose a lot too, right? Because then you don't get to see that beauty. You don't, you don't hear the story the way you just said it, right? You hear, oh, a man got a blood transfusion, got AIDS, and died, and it was horrible. Mm -hmm. Man, that sucks. Or this bad thing happened, but be in the light of this bad thing shined these great things. I'll take it right home. Um, I was married to Carl for a year and a half, and I used to have a Dolly Parton figure, trust me. And then third bout of breast cancer, second primary. And they said, all right, we're taking all the parts and you're going to go from this Dolly Parton figure to a fat fire plug with permanent side effects in three weeks, suck it up. Well, yes, I went home and cried for 24 hours, I'm normal. But then I said, I know what I have to do. I have to find three reasons to be okay with this. Don't care what they are. Number one, you don't have them, you can't get cancer there. Number two, the top half is not gonna get slammed in the refrigerator door at the doctors and every woman listening knows exactly what I'm talking about. Three, implants, cool, I'll be perky till I'm 93. <laughs> so um, when I went in the day of the double mastectomy and reconstruction 
and I was hopped up on fentanyl and said the, the pre-op stuff that's just wonderful. I looked at the, the surgeon who was technically good but had no personality. I said, you've got three hours to do the demolition work. And then I looked at my plastic surgeon who in our family we call Madame Artiste and Doc Miracle because she is and she makes them. And I said, you got three hours for the front end alignment. I want to be out of here at six. Boom. I was out of the hospital in three days, shopped for a bathing suit and five. Wow. They had not seen that in 15 years at Mass General. This, as well as competent doctors. It is, I tell my daughter all the time, I go, the power of the mind. I go, kid, mm -hmm. you got to know. And what's weird, I'd like your insight on this, because I, I have a feeling I'm going to get a, 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 an answer from you uh, that um, I don't think people are expecting. Okay. One of the hardest things I've had to do to train my kid to do is look in the mirror, look at herself and say, I love you out loud. What he the is, fuck is going on in this world that a kid at seven is having a hard time saying I love you to themselves? Because we're taught we're never good enough. You know, there's a wonderful place called the Option Institute in Massachusetts, and I've worked with their ideas for 40 years. Life comes down to stimulus belief response. Always ask yourself three questions. What am I X about? Sad, angry, afraid, depressed, whatever. Why am I X about that? And the question nobody ever asked themselves, what do I think would happen if I stopped being X about that? Mm -hmm. You might say to your kid, okay, you're having trouble saying I love you. Mm -hmm. Why are you having trouble saying I love you? Because I don't want to look like I'm stuck up. What do you think would happen if you stopped worrying about being stuck up and just said I love you? You're not telling the kid she's wrong. You're not saying you're not strong. You're just asking her to look at the other side of things. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, you know, I chose not to have kids and I've never regretted it, but that means I'm just the biggest kid in the room. So I understand them a little bit. And when parents come to me about their kids and they're not listening and blah, 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 I ask them to give me an idea of how they work together. And it's always the kid makes a statement and the parent immediately denigrates, corrects, et cetera, et cetera. So I say, okay, John comes home and he throws his books down. And you don't like it. You say, what's the matter? Ah, uh, school sucked today. You don't say, that's not an added blob. You say, why did school suck today? Oh, girl I liked. She made fun of me in the cafeteria and everybody laughed. Okay, how do you feel about that? Really mad. What do you think would happen if you stopped being mad about that? I guess it wouldn't bother me. How's that make you feel? Good. So what do you want to do? Notice you have allowed your child to figure out his own emotions and mm -hmm. learn how to reimagine them rather than hammering on him so he feels like nobody ever listens to him. That is Questions are magic. Yeah, that is one of the things. I, I love the conversation, uh, and I forget who I, I took this idea from, but, uh, you know, the, the relationship my daughter has with me, that's the only one, you know, with her and, and me and her and her mom, right? It's the mm -hmm. only one she didn't choose. Mm -hmm. So if she didn't choose it, you know, I ask her, how am I doing? How are things going? How's dad doing? What can I do better? You know, uh, and give her that freedom to express herself and then you know you get 
you get so many pieces of, of wisdom and gold. You know, it's funny because she, she always likes coming into our bedroom and snuggling them. And, you know, we're, we're trying to get her to sleep in her own bed more and stuff. And now at night she'll go sleep in her own bed and like, Hey, got a spot. You guys just need a snuggle. If anyone needs a snuggle, come right into my room. And it's the coolest thing because it's not, she's in her mind. She's, she's flipped it, right? She knows she can't come sleep in our bed anymore, but she's taken this approach of, Hey, if you need a snuggle right over here and I'm ready, you know, and it's, it's a very cute response to something that, uh, you know, a lot of people uh, struggle with, you know, parents struggle with, but to your point, we did. I mean, we talked to her, we let her navigate her emotions. Why are you feeling that way? What's going on? You know, it's not, she did something bad. It's like, you did something bad. You were punished. It's like, Hey, why did you think that was okay to say it that way? Or what, what's going on? What made you feel? And you go down the road and that is, I mean, don't get me wrong. There's a punishment, but the self-discovery that gets her there mm -hmm. means that it's not repeated as much. Which is when parents think they always have to be right that there's trouble. Yeah. Oh yeah, hundred percent, one hundred percent. What um, get with uh, the the holidays coming up? Mm -hmm. What are your traditions? What do you like to do? Hard, hard left turn here. What do you, what do you, what do you like to do for the Thanksgiving? Uh, you know, the Turkey Day. Are you a big family person? Is it just you and the hubby? What do you got going on? It used to be when I was a kid, it was the holiday and the relations would come up from Norfolk, Virginia. And we were, we were in South Jersey at that point and it was massive and it would always be the same menu. And it was very funny. My mother was such a perfectionist. She would put little pieces of paper in each of the serving dishes so that she remembered what goes where. And there was one Thanksgiving where my Uncle Arnold takes the last of the green beans and says, oh, is that what they were? She had forgotten to take the little thing that said green beans out and she was mortified. Um, these days, since, you know, uh, we don't have kids and my relations are spread out. It's usually just us. Um, last year, we were invited to Thanksgiving with our friends who run a pastured organic farm down the road, which was lovely. Oh, cool. um, we'll do a Thanksgiving basket through Catholic Charities for other people. And for Christmas, again, no family, so it, there's no point to it. But we do put up greens in the house. And I do make sure that people I work with uh, you know, postman, cleaning lady, whatever, they get something from us as a thank you. Nice. Um, Chinese food? No, okay. usually something that I bet, honey, I can cook. I can cook. Yeah. Um, for me and Carl, Carl and I, the three holidays that are most important to us every year are New Year's Eve, okay. our anniversary, and Valentine's Day. Birthdays nice. don't matter, and everybody else's holidays don't matter. But, What's uh, uh, New Year's Eve? Why is, that, why is that one so special? Um, because we know we're lucky enough to have somebody to smooch at midnight. And we have always gone to our absolute favorite restaurant, which is in Sharon Springs. It's called the American Hotel. And it's run by 
uh, the mayor of Sharon Springs and his husband, Doug Plummer and Garth Roberts. It's lovely. Um, and it's, it's, we're like family there. It's just enough elegant. The food is always superb. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of tradition that we like. And we always go there for Valentine's Day and we always go there for our anniversary. But they are selling it. So we just don't know what we're going to do once the, uh, the pandemic is over and we have to find someplace new. But that's, you know, life changes. But, yeah, but that's also we, kind of cool, right? You got to go on an is, adventure now. It is. Um, but we know how lucky we were. Both of us were married before. Not happily. And then we found each other in our mid to late 40s. We got through my cancer dance. We're now together 20 years, 18 years married, and we love each other more now than we did then. That's rare, but that's called marriage is a work in progress and always is. So we celebrate that. That's awesome. That is, uh, and you're, you're right. I mean, uh, I don't think a lot of, uh, enough people say it, right? Marriage is work. It's a job. Yeah. Uh, you know, that doesn't mean it can't be a fun job. Doesn't mean you're not going to have good times, but uh, it does. I mean, it's, uh, I've only been at it for seven. No, but. Um, the thing is to grow together. Yeah. The clients that come to me and say, I want out of my marriage. We can't talk to each other. But I say, have you grown together? Are you the same person you were the day you got married? Well, of course not. Is he the same person? he was when you got married. Oh, I'm sure he is. That's the difference. That's when I know it won't work. Is there, um, are there topics or are there things when people come in that they want to know that you say no to right off? Mm -hmm. Yep. What's my purpose? (laughs) Look, asking me what your purpose is. It's like walking into a Russian lit class and saying to the professor, yeah, I know I'm supposed to read War and Peace, but you got the answers, just give them to me, it's fine. Your purpose is your vapor trail, what you leave behind in every encounter. And I've got uh, an hour and a half consult that I do on that called Your Sentence Passion, mm-hmm. um, where we look at so many things in your life. You will think it is two pages of disjointed questions, but we can see your patterning. You know, my father said to me, you would be a great lawyer. Well, maybe, but I can't stand it. I can't stand lawyers. But all of the things that could have made me a good lawyer, because I knew what I wanted to do, came into play here. And I'm, I'm living my purpose, which is to help people cross the bridge from fear to fearlessness and fly. Mm-hmm. Um, they say, I want to know when I'm going to die. Mm-hmm. For one thing, that's illegal in an awful lot of states. Really? Yes. Yes. And we don't have just one place we could leave. We have five. You could die from a high fever at four, a car accident at 21, a mugging at 35, um, cancer at 48, and a stroke at 90. And each time you come up to something, your soul says, am I done yet? Yes or no. So that's where that is. Yeah, I think, um, uh, I think my, and, and you don't want to concentrate on when you want to die. You want to concentrate on living. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, you know, uh, my, my soul's not ready to give up. I've been, 
hit my cars. <laughs> because there's, there's been a lot of opportunities for me to, to, to go the way of the dodo bird. And uh, it's like, no, I haven't gotten the cavity yet. You know, I'm just, I'm just like, say thank you and keep going. That's right. Just, just smile and keep cruising along. Uh, let's get back to this really quick. What the heck are tarot cards? Oh, that's what right. They, what do they do? All right. Ta-da! This is a deck. This is a deck. Um, tarot cards have been around for hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. They are the deck that most people see. And they are archetypal images that have so much story behind them that they have certain things that have meaning. For instance, this card is a partnership card. It's about marriage. It's about unity, things like that. That's how people understand it. Mm -hmm. The sword card can be challenge. It can be mental acuity. It can be all kinds of things. Now, what makes me a good reader as opposed to someone who is just sitting there reading the book? It's because for one thing, I understand the allegory. Allegory is really important because when you're doing a reading, you're telling someone a story about possibilities. So here's a card called the Eight of Swords. Now, when you look at it, you see a blindfolded and a bound woman, though they're both very loose. It looks very scary around her and she's surrounded by swords, but notice they're not pinning her down. Mm -hmm. So what I explain to people is, if you tear off your blindfold and your bindings, you say, I'm in control. I will look forward and move forward the best I can. You're not pinned down by the danger you can walk through. Um, so when you can tell somebody a story about the cards, uh, it's important. There are three cards that weird out rookies, death, the devil, and the tower. And I always tell people, okay, if they come up, I'll tell you what they mean, because it ain't that. And the one that really, really scares people simply because of the way it looks is the tower card. And I'm looking for that now. The tower card shows people uh, falling off a burning building, doom, gloom, and destruction. Oh, yeah. If, if you're going to do tarot cards in a movie, you've got that one in death yep. all the time. Those but are the two the way- they flip over, and the girl then shakes a chicken foot, and you right. know that person's no, done. No. What I explain is, think of it like the imploding sports stadium. Yankees want to build a new stadium. They got to blow up the old one first. So the universe is saying, changes need to be made. We're going to clear the decks. If the tower card comes up around your finances, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to go bankrupt. But it does mean start simplifying, check your debt load, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, so that very little has to be broken down in order to change things. Mm-hmm. And the death card means death of an old way of life, death of what you've outgrown, death of what was never you in the first place. It is not you're going to be hit by a bus on Tuesday. <laughs> so, and that's, that's why I'm good to rookies. I don't try to scare them. I explain this to them so they can take in the messages and the observations that the cards are making. Now, there's a difference between tarot cards and all of these new Oracle decks that are coming out. Um, this is one that I love. It's got Ganesh. Okay. Wisdom of Lord Ganesh. Now, who's Ganesh, for people who don't know? In uh, the Hindu pantheon, he's the Lord of Obstacles, and he is beloved in India. How can I compare him here? 
if you go to South Philadelphia, all the little Italian American grandmothers have the peeling statue of the Virgin Mary in the back between the tulips and the barbecue. That's Ganesh for India. <laughs> Everybody's got one. And the reason that I love that deck is it's beautifully designed, but it's also very gentle. It's compassionate, as opposed to something like the Fairy's Oracle, which is by um, Brian Proud and Jess McBreath. Brian Proud made the puppetry in the Dark Chris and the Labyrinth. That's a card that this is not a gentle deck. This is one that marches inside your head, rips off the floor tiles, and gives you homework. And I only pull it out when somebody's serious about wanting to make big changes. Wow. And because all of these new Oracle decks don't have so many rules and traditions behind them, they're much more fluid in how you use them. So I've got one, two, three, four, five. I've got seven Oracle decks plus a tarot deck that I use. And I'll pull them out and mix and match during my readings. I teach a course called Decadence, which is a course where you take that course and at the end of three hours, you can read any Oracle deck you pick up within 30 seconds. Wow. You've gotten out of your own way and you see it as an adventure, as fun. One of the things that drives my, uh, my agent crazy, yes, I have one, is I keep telling people, you can do what I do, I'm not special, because that's truly what I believe. But in order to make it in reality shows, you have to come across as you are so very special. So, you know, we're, we're changing how we view that. But the truth is, I'm 65. I don't know how much longer I'm going to be around. I have to tell people that they can do what I do because the youngsters are going to have to start stepping up. I'm not going to go back on the road. I'm much more comfortable at home. It's less exhausting, which is why I, my latest book is You've Got the Magic, Who Needs a Genie? And it's everything that I learned on being on the road for 18 years. No, I don't have to keep those secrets. I'll pass them along. It's, it's just how I'm wired. Is, it, uh, is there a, a fear in, for lack of a better term, your profession or community that there's not enough young people coming up into it? I don't think so. Okay. I don't think so. Um, what's happening now that it's kind of the other direction. When people are tight for money, when people don't have jobs, People say, well, I used to read tarot cards in high school, or how hard could it be? And they buy a couple of decks and they start, you know, charging five bucks, 10 bucks for readings. And then they look at someone like me that charges a heck of a lot more and they say, you're not very spiritual. I say, no, you're getting almost 50 years of experience. I read 1,200 people a year. I have certifications. I'm in books. You get what you pay for. It doesn't mean that I'm charging $10,000. I, you know, Sylvia Brown used to wait three years and she would charge something like $8,000 for 20 minutes. What is that? I don't understand what that gets you. Fat bank account is what it I gets. Mean, I, I know what it gets her. I'm just trying to think as, as a person going in, you're setting a, a bar, an expectation pretty high with that kind of price tag. People are so, oh, they're famous that, you know, it is what it is, what it is. Um, you know, I do charge a pretty hefty rate for a soul plane reading. You think, why are you charging that much for an hour? What you don't see is that when you have an 8 p.m. session with me from eight to nine, 
I am at my desk at 8 a.m. And for 12 hours straight, I'm doing the deep trance meditation. I'm doing the past life retrieval. I'm doing the back check to make sure that, you know, I'm not seeing you working a cotton gin in uh, 1340 when it was invented in 1791. That's why I do that. So. So it's a, uh, it is a, um, it's a full ex experience for you. For me. Yes. All right. Is now. There, yeah. We're going to interrupt. And we're Please. going to go take a look at this scene between Lauren Bacall and Humphrey Bogart. This, this scene is where the chemistry absolutely exploded between them. Um, first time they kissed. Mm -hmm. And if you look carefully at Humphrey Bogart's face, you can see the shock on his face that this was not just the actress, but whatever she was at core got inside. So. It, um, there is a, uh, there's a thing that lights up in you when you talk about romance. Mm -hmm. What, what makes you such romantic? I mean, you, you, you literally, you, you change a little bit when you talk about romance and passion. Because it's connection. There's, you know, you see today, like you're watching the Borgias and every other one has hot panting naked sex. <laughs> it's titillation. You get bored. But with this, this is a soul talking to a soul. And this is not Hallmark. Well, of course, you know, here's the plot. They're going to fall in love. Mm -hmm. um, this is the sexual tension of two people who are coming closer and closer to fireworks. Now, you see the smile on, on Bogart's face? Mm -hmm. this, this is the point. Do you, you know, that is reality and so much better than rolling around in the sheets, even in Italian Renaissance gorgeous clothing. <laughs> and because in the 40s, the, the behavior on the streets was not as open as it is now, this had more texture, mm -hmm. this had more meaning because people didn't do PDAs. And this is the line about, you need me just whistle, you know how to whistle, don't you Steve? Just put your lips together and blow, which at the time was terribly risque. I was gonna say, I mean, hot for teacher, cheese and rice, Martha. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Uh-huh, uh, there's her face, that, now watch his. That terry cloth rope. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's gobsmacked. <laughs> it's just. It's and it's wonderful, and you don't see that anymore because everybody is so knowledgeable. That's that one scene is why this is one of my favorite movies. And knowing that the two of them really did 
fall in love, get married, have a kid, and would have stayed married for a long time, except from all of his smoking, Bogart got cancer and died in 1957. I believe he, he, uh, I mean, he smoked through this whole damn film, that guy, I tell you. Everybody did. Everybody did, yeah. So, but to, to roll back to the why do I love romance, because these days we're also treated to so much violence, you know, um, that when you see two people genuinely falling in love and you know that it's happening off screen as well as on screen, that's a rarity and that's just delicious. Uh, the modern day equivalent, which unfortunately did not last as long, is Mr. and Mrs. Smith with yeah. Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie. They were curling up the celluloid there. And you could see they were falling in love with each other, even though it was a much nastier film. Mm -hmm. um, but that kind of chemistry is really rare. So when you see it and you know it worked before, uh, that's just delicious. You seem to have a, uh, an appetite for uh, richness. You know, as far as, you know, it's, it's like, I mean, if, if you're looking at the dessert menu, you've scanned past vanilla ice cream and, and you're looking at the uh, bourbon pecan pie with the cinnamon roll crust and, uh, you know, hot honey demi-glaze. No, that's my husband. That's your husband? What I look at, what I look at is something like strawberries Romanoff. You ever had that? Yeah. See, it, it, so there's a complexity and richness Where'd you get, did you get that from your parents? Is this, it's, is it innate to you? It was not from my parents. Um, I think that one of my favorite sayings in the world is out of the mouth of Lazarus Long in Time Enough for Love by Robert Heinlein. And Lazarus says, in life, moderation is for monks. Take big bites. Um, if I'm going to spend time down here, you know, do I want to go somewhere for a month on a budget or a week? No holds barred. I take the week so that you could just absorb everything mm -hmm. right, right down to the rind. Um, let's take the dessert idea. You've got your triple bomb going to die cholesterol and diabetic friend dessert. What is strawberries Romanoff? You, for those that don't know, it's strawberries that you can then dip in sour cream and brown sugar. Some people do it with cherries as well. Yeah, that's true. I, I, I learned in strawberries in my recipe. And, uh, you know, but these are the really, not the fake, big, tasteless strawberries. These are the beautiful ones that are dessert by themselves and you dip it in the sour cream and a little brown sugar, and you have that melange of fresh and sour and sweet that works together, as opposed to something that is so cloying and so heavy that it's tough to determine what went into it. It's one of the reasons I love to cook, is because it's, for me, it's like painting. It's an art. Mm -hmm. um, as a matter of fact, it's one of the reasons I made, you know, another Carl story. When we were first dating, it was his birthday. I was going to come up and fill his freezer full of my cooking. And I come up with my pots and my pans and everything. And I walk in to the kitchen and something smells like it's a charnel house. 
And I go sniffing around and I find, do you remember fry babies? Those yeah. little miniature fry things. Yeah. And I open it up and it smells like there's a dead rat. And I said, honey, when did you change the oil last? Oh, I don't know, a couple of months ago. I mean, you heat it so hot. It, and I oh. said, if we ever get married, you're allowed in the kitchen for two reasons, to kiss the cook and do the dishes. And it's always worked that way. So what I did that day, tenderloin, three ingredients in the crock pot, let it do its thing. I pull out a piece for him to taste. He tastes it. He claps his hands on his chest and he falls back against the refrigerator. I said, I have the man. But the thing is, uh, his mother, her cooking was so bad that his father thought army cooking was better. Wow. So, I mean, I had him hook, line, and sinker with just that one. I, I love it. therapy for me. I, I, I'm with you. I love, I love to cook. I mean, my daughter gets in the kitchen with me. We make stuff. Uh, I'm, I'm big on, I do, I run through these kicks. Uh, I'm big on making hot sauces now. And uh, I made a Serrano avocado lime mousse. I was telling my friend, like, you put it on like you'd put a mousse on, you know, but instead of it being a dessert, you know, it's this rich, spicy, and I go, dollop it on like you would mayo or something on a breakfast sandwich. And they're just like, no, I knock on the door the next morning. They're like, okay, more, more. See, now you talk about how hot and spicy. I say, my taste is Marlon Blando. I love taste. I can't do heat. Um, but my brother would eat that. Uh, I, I think that his favorite hot sauce that I know of is called Scored Woman. Oh. Um, so yeah, that's the kind of thing that he would love. They, they go to Thai restaurants and he walks in and the waiters look at each other and then uh, it's Dr. Dork and we, we could pull on the tap. Oh, you have, that's my, we, uh, my if wife. If your scalp I, doesn't sweat, it's not hot enough. Exactly. We went to Thailand for our, for our uh, honeymoon and got married on the beach there. And, we go, we go to this place and I'm like, hey, I'd like this Kosoi Gai, which is their stew. It's got some fried chicken legs in it. It's, it's got so much stuff. And I go, I want it hot, but I don't want it white guy hot. I want it Thai hot. And the guy's like, okay. Brings it on. I'm like, not hot enough. Next day, I order the same thing because it's delicious. Chef brings it on. I'm like, hot. I want it for, with like it's hot for you. He goes, come back tomorrow. All right. Come back the next day. I mean, every cook everyone in the kitchen every waiter's got their head peered around the corner like you, <laughs> you know, bring it to the mouth get to the mouth the top of my head was wet uh-huh. it was so good i was on fire it was euphoric it was amazing you know <laughs> it was awesome. i give you credit it's good to know what you know but no, yeah I, I could not do that we do a, uh, I, I, I love, you know, I'll do Thanksgiving when we're home. I cook for Thanksgiving and my wife hates it because I'm prepping for three days. She's like, you just like to cook so you can get up at 4 a.m. and have a beer by 8 a.m. and boss people around by noon. And I'm like, yeah, well, this, this all sounds good to me. Like, this is great. And your point is. Yeah, you're both, okay, I'm in. Yep. Sold. But she's like, all right, you can do your spicy stuff over here, but then, you know, not everyone likes spicy, so you got to do some other stuff over here. Mm-hmm. Sweet potato gnocchi with a maple butter tarragon drizzle. Mm-hmm. Oh. Now, now you're talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So good. So much fun. You know, 
it's just it's one of those things you uh mm-hmm. you know you, you you fall in love with it and uh there's that idea you know and you do it in your profession as well of contact that goes past you know when they walk out mm-hmm. still got the meal with them they're going yeah. home or someone brings up pumpkin pie or turkey and you know yours was moist and they've been like this whole turkey's moist i'm like well it's a three apple two pear butter brown sugar stuffing that yeah. keeps it moist and they're like whoa it's kind of got a sweet flavor to it i'm like oh there you go champ but so you know you've you've, you've created a memory for them that they're never going to let go of that they're going to hold on to especially you know in a, a good experience and you know um you do that as well with your job. How do you how do you separate the two so the the feelings stay mutually exclusive? If that makes sense. Um, uh, what is the it and the feeling stay mutually exclusive? What are the the two things that have to stay separate? Your personal love and passion of the joy you get from cooking, and yeah. then also. I'm assuming there's got to be a love and passion in what you do in, in, um, in helping someone through something. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you, you talk about keeping, you know, that you can turn yourself, your, your walls can come down with your husband. So how does that, because emo, emotionally, right? I don't have to solve anything for my husband. <laughs> you know, one of our rules is fix versus listen. Guys okay. tend to want to fix things. So if I'm stomping around the house, He'll say to me, do you want me to try to fix it? Or do you want me just to listen? And if it's, I just want you to listen, the spiritual duct tape goes over the mouth. He holds space for me. And I'm talking out loud because I want to figure it out. If I need help, I'll say, can you help me fix it? Mm-hmm. And that keeps arguments from happening. Um, one of the things that I do with my clients is I get them to laugh. Laughter doesn't mean that it, what they're talking about is not serious. But and, and, you know, it's, it's, I am a storyteller. Words are my drug of choice. How many times do women come in and, you know, they're in their fifties. What do you want? I have no idea what I want. It scares me. And I said, well, this is normal for you. Let me explain. You're two. And there's this big white thing and you have all these silver things on top and you reach for it. And your mom goes, bad, hot. Okay. You're four. You're smart for it. There's a plate of cookies and you know that there's more cookie in the big one than the little one. So you reach for that one. Your mother goes, bad. And you're selfish. So you're not even going to get the cookie and I'm going to give it to your little brother and he eats it at you. And then she says, besides, girls who eat cookies get fat. Nobody likes a fat girl. Do you really want the cookie? To the point where when women are five and six, they understand viscerally. If we want anything, we're wrong, we're bad It'll be taken from us and we have to watch somebody else get it. So we're taught not to want. Instead, to give to everybody else. And the women are laughing because they see that happening in their lives. They get it. And they know somebody else gets them. Or women don't know how to say no. Well, I have a postcard for that that I give them. (laughs) And it's called, No is a Fabulous Idea. And on the back is the tale of Sid, Moses' second cousin. Mm-hmm. And Moses is taking people over on the other side of the desert. And they come upon an oasis and a well in a bucket. He's the only one who knows how to winch it up. 
and he says, I am the great and noble Sid. I will make sure you all get a drink. And he dies halfway through because he didn't take a drink himself. Now, if Sid had realized that was dumb, he would have had a drink himself, given it to everybody else. They would have gone away to the other side of the desert. And so the tale has been passed down in his family. And whenever anyone in the family sees somebody going down the martyr's path, they remind them, don't be a idiot. Now, it's written much more florid on the back of the postcard. But again, women are laughing. They will remember this and they will act upon it because it wasn't just somebody going, you really have to learn to say no, you know. Why? This is a why. When people understand the why of what they're told or what's being suggested, then they can make a concrete decision to own it themselves. Instead of just, oh, it's one more thing somebody told me. Uh, Loretta LaRoche, you know her? Great comedian. Yes. She says, women, women are always shooting on themselves. And when they're not shooting, they're masturbating. They really ought to not, not do either. And it's true. Should and must. You should take care of your family. You must look like this. No and no. When women get untethered from expectation words, the world opens up. So. I like it. I like it a lot. So Where, do they. So do they. So do they. Uh, as we wrap up, two things here. Mm -hmm. uh, one, you're at the table. Mm -hmm. I want to know what your eating table is. or Thanksgiving table. Eating, just okay. I want to know what your meal is. I want to know what your meal is and who you've got there. You, you got you get four guests. I want to know what the meal is and who you got there. And then two, the second is, um, you know. Uh, Tell people again where they can find you on social and everything else and your website, but then also um, how you know, you, you've talked a lot about, we, we've talked uh, and, and danced around a, a, a lot about uh, what seems to be a core theme of one, you know, taking care and understanding yourself and and that in doing that and going out and, and seeking insight and, and knowledge is, you know, if, if you have care and understanding of yourself, right? You're more apt to get the proper care and understanding that you need to move forward. And so maybe in the, in closing on that, then a horrible long question, so I apologize, is, right. um, you know, what's your routine of taking care of yourself okay. as a caregiver? So. Okay. So first meal. Meal. Four guests would be my husband, mm -hmm. my late father, Jerome R. Dorkin, who was my best friend. We shared a birthday. And John Adams. Wow, okay. Um, what I would serve, probably um, some kind of superb beef. Me, I'm a lobster girl, but lobster was a poor man's food when Adams was alive, so we'd do beef. Um, probably fresh veg uh, with a saw asparagus with hollandaise something like that mm -hmm. um fresh homemade bread um probably a sweet potato with it and dessert would be fruit macerated in chambord and probably some fresh churned ice cream for on it that's you know and really really good german wine um that's the meal Ooh. the let's do the question first and and the 
advertisement last. What was the question you asked me about how I take care of myself? Was that it? Yeah, as, yeah, as a person who takes care of so many people, uh, how do you take care of yourself? I say no. Um, I have one day a week that I will not work. You can be dying. I'm going to send you to another shrink, another psychic, and that's Wednesdays. Wednesdays is my day. Um, I have three cats, two of which are Maine Coons. Maine Coons are little dogs in cat suits, and I adore them. I have been a Maine Coon mom cat since 1985, and I'm very lucky. I live in a little bitty bungalow upstate New York in the middle of a hay field surrounded by mountains. I go outside and I sit. There are no people. You can't see the neighbors. The only neighbors are sheep. They don't need readings. And I just breathe. I stay absolutely in this moment. I don't worry about readings I have to do, books I have to write, laundry I have to do. It's just I give myself that time to breathe. Simple as that. Doesn't take much for me. So. I like it. I like it. Corby, you are uh, a fascinating person. You really are. And you've got an energy and a zest and uh, what people can't see that I can, uh, you know, a, a smile that literally lights up a room, you know, halfway across the country. So. Uh, oh, thank you. It's why I look like this at 65. Two things. Number one, you don't have kids. Takes 10 years off your looks right there. And I adore what I do. I get to get up every morning. I don't have to get up every morning. Yeah. That makes all the difference. Okay, where are they going to find me? All over the place. Um, all over the place. Corby Mitleid, C-O-R-B-I-E-M-I-T-L-E-I-D.com. That's my main website where you can book appointments and there's tons of stuff to look at. Fire Through Spirit on Facebook. Corby Mitleid on Instagram, on Twitter, and on Pinterest, and on YouTube, where I've got um, probably about two dozen videos right now, guided meditations, how to do tarot readings, other things like that. My three books, Clean Out Your Life Closet, which is about clarity, adaptability, simplicity, and making friends with stress. The Psychic Yellow Brick Road, How to Find the Real Wizards and Avoid the Flying Monkeys. And you've got the magic who needs a genie if you ever want to do the holistic circuit. And all of those are on Amazon. That's me. I love it. And uh, you, once again, I mean, you've got your own vernacular with your profession that is, you know, finding the wizards and avoiding the flying monkeys. I mean, I hope someone somewhere writes all these down for you just so maybe your last book is, is, is the Corby's. And <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. I'm sure somebody can. It's like, right. Just put it down. The, the Corby's, right. And then just, you know, the, the subtitle is, it's not all about reading your poem, right. It's about listening to what she says. If yes. you just did that, and then you've got these one bit, it's going to get in people's vernacular in a very fun and, and, and long lasting way. I have a feeling. I hope it's my job. Oh, that's right. Well, you know, uh, you can go to the store and buy a banana. It'll get bruised up. You can make banana bread or throw the little sucker away. You can go buy an avocado and that weird son of a bitch will only be right for about five seconds and you're going to miss it mm -hmm. no matter what, but mm -hmm. you get the privilege, you get to go back, you get to buy another avocado and try to dance again. Uh, time is the one thing you don't get back. Sure. And um, 
it, uh, it always is an honor. It always blows me away that people will spend this much time with a total stranger being me and my knuckle-headed long questions. So thank you for, for that. Uh, oh, it was a pure pleasure. I, this was a conversation. This was not an interview. Yeah, yeah. Conversations are a lot better. Conversations are a lot better. You're always welcome. If you ever want to come on again, I'd love to have you on again. Uh, I could talk with you forever. You're, you're absolutely great. I can see why. Uh, you're good at your job far past uh, the uh, the natural abilities, but to the conversational abilities and, and just who you are as a person. So thank you for that. I greatly appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. This was great fun. Awesome. Well, you have a wonderful weekend. Don't work too hard. Give your husband my best, even though he has no idea who I am. <laughs> <laughs> I would like, what the hell? What? Fine. Okay. He's used to that. He's used, He's to, that. used to that. Good. Yes. Good. All right. And uh, when this goes live, I'll send it to you. And then the following day, I'll send you all the stats of the countries that are listening, the top cities that are listening, and then the weird cities that are listening. That's delicious. I'd love it. Thank you, my friend. Stay Thank in you. touch. Stay all safe. Right. Wear your mask. I will. Thank you. You yeah. as well. Bye-bye. You well. Bye. Ah. Uh.